Today we are starting a new series. Often in the life of our church, usually around this time in September and the winter, we have, for the last three years, we've taken a moment to kind of have a bit of a vision series, reflect on who we are and where we're going. And uh, often we've done that with lots of feedback and interaction. We're going to do a little bit different this year. Um, and we're starting a new series called Guiding Lights. But to understand the point of the series, does anyone know what this is? Does anyone recognize this? Does anyone recognize it? It is not a TV antenna. Good guess. No. Uh, it is a monument. Oh, Mike, you're nailing it today. Sharp as a tack. Yes. No, it is not a lighthouse. It is a local thing. Something that's key. It identifies our local area pretty significantly. Does anyone know? No, you don't know. So, this is a monument that you can find out in Makatu. Did you get it, Ken? Oh, look at you go. Oh, Helen got it, of course. Trust the locals who've been around for a while. This is a really, really uh, important monument at Makatu, and it marks the arrival of the Waka Te Arawa. And it's the marking of the Waka that's like the first Waka that landed for Māori and indigenous peoples here in this region. And I love, I love this because whenever I think about that journey, so hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Māori made their way from Hawaii down across the oceans, through the islands, and they made their way all the way here over to Aotearoa. They did this before GPS, before like fancy sat-navs, before even having like longitude and, longitude and latitude like the British had figured out. They did this way before then. And does that not just boggle your mind? how they were able to do that. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to be out on the ocean, uh, probably about, I was gonna say a few years ago, it's now like 12, I'm getting older. 12 years ago, I had the chance to go out on a, a YWAM sailing ship. And I, I still will never forget that. We were sailing kind of from the south coast of France to Ibiza. And there's that feeling of when you have sailed away from the shore and you look around and everything looks the same. Those of you who've been sailing recently, you know that feeling. It's Everything looks the same in every direction. It's just flat. And it's crazy to me how people were able to go in that space and still navigate, still keep their heading when there's ocean currents and winds and 10,000 forces that could make you lose your sense of direction and find another way. This community on Te Arawaka were able to navigate. Do you know how they did that? Oh, you guys are clued up. Stars, but it wasn't just the stars. It was the stars, it was the sun, it was the moon, it was the clouds. But particularly the sun, the moon, the stars had this huge role for them to be able to maintain their heading, to keep focused in a direction when the winds and the waves would wanna buffer them off course. It's their ability to have these guiding lights that anchor them in their direction. And it's that story about these guiding lights that anchor us that I want to talk to us about. In the life of our church, we are in a period of transition. With the building coming up, as we grow, as new people get involved, with new staff members coming on board, Brian's been on board for a couple of weeks now, has been hugely helpful. We're hoping to have a new youth pastor in the new part of the year. There's lots of change happening. And moving into that building, there's going to be more change. It's like we're a waka setting off from what we know to what we don't know. 
And there is a huge risk in that voyage that we can get blown off course. There's a huge risk that as we try to settle into a new building and as we figure out what life looks like there, we could shift in directions that are unfaithful to the calling of God on our lives. And so what I want to do for these next four weeks is we're going to plant some stakes in the ground. We're going to have some guiding lights, some values that I hope will orientate us in the future life of this church. And so today, with a really fun topic, I want to talk about embracing exile in a culture of comfort. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the call that you have on this community of faith. And Jesus, I thank you that you are you're a radical leader. When you came, you upset things. When you came, you, you broke down the boundaries of what we thought was normal, and you showed us a new and a better way. Today, as your church, we pray that we would hear your voice afresh, and you would help us to find that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today I want to talk about one of our guiding values, one of our guiding stars, is the value of embracing exile in a culture that values comfort above all things. One of my favorite movies is Wally. I watch it with my kids often. It's one of their favorite movies and it's just great. Wally and Eva, like just spectacular. But one of the things that always gets me, and if you've seen this movie, you know the part, I won't go into the whole plot other than Earth is trashed, humans have head off in a cruise ship to try and find other worlds. Don't worry, it's the fire. Not a tsunami, so in case you were nervous, not a tsunami, just a firehouse. And so humans have set off on this voyage, and on this cruise ship, they have, re- they have eliminated anything that would make you nervous, or anything that would be discomfort or painful. Everything is perfectly set up for you. Every need is catered for, every meal is there ready for you. You've got these chairs that can move you around wherever you want to. Do you want to change your color of your outfit? You push a button and bloop, 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 bloop. You look fancy and new in a different color. And it's great. I mean, it seems like the life of luxury. But it's almost like this prophetic warning, right? Of what happens when comfort becomes too high a priority for a people. And what happens? In, uh, I mean, it's just, it's a crack up film, but they get so used to their chairs that they forget how to walk. Their bone density drops, and literally, there's a moment where the ship tips and like they all fall out of the chairs, and none of them can walk. They just roll around the ship as it like heaves to and fro, right? And for me, it's this wonderful, almost prophetic warning about a culture that wants to make things easy. I I mean, how many ridiculous businesses do we know of in startups and inventions that are there to fix problems that you know we didn't even ever have? One of my favorite ones, I've been watching Shark Take clips on YouTube recently, and one of my favorite ones that came up were they added like panels that you could add to the side of your computer so you could stick sticky notes to them. (laughs) And I remember thinking, That's what we've gotten to as a society. My life is so difficult, I need things to put my sticky notes on on a computer that could just have digital sticky notes on it. We live in a culture where it can be so easy to be comfortable. Life is supposed to be made easy. We live in an unprecedented era of abundance. 
talk to our ancestors, you know, 200 years ago to imagine the luxuries that we have on our fingertips would have been mind-numbing to them. That we can go into Countdown and get unseasonal fruit whenever we want. I mean, we have to pay an arm and a leg for it, but we can get it. Running water in our houses, electricity, on-demand cars that can take us anywhere we want. We live in this unprecedented era of comfort. But what's interesting is that the more comfortable that we've gotten, the more risk-averse we've become. And our pain threshold has dropped. We expect life to be easy for us. There's comfort for us in moving up. We feel safe when we're moving up. One of my favorite stories is the stories of a guy named Johan. Johan is a uh, reporter and an author, and he's written this wonderful book called Lost Connections that he talks about his journey with like antidepressants and a lot of psychiatric medicine and his journey with it. He'd been on psychiatric medicine his whole life and was struggling with it. But he tells the story of when he was backpacking through Thailand once. And while he was in Thailand, he was hungry and he saw at one of the markets this beautiful apple, bright red, crisp, lovely, and he's like, I need that. So he buys it. He saves it until he gets to his hostel at night. He's been saving this apple, and he's like, oh, I can't wait to eat it. So he bites into it, and it tastes a bit funny on the outside, a bit bitter, but he's like, oh, it must just be a weird variety. And he eats the whole apple, goes to sleep, and the next day he heads out to a far remote village to go do some work on a story that he's reporting. And while he's out in this village, he gets the rumbles. But not just little rumbles, the big rumbles. You know the rumbles that you're like, if I don't get to a toilet in the next five seconds, everything's about to fall apart rumbles. And he gets hit, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, but it's not like the, oh, this is uncomfortable, this is like uncontrollable. And he can't keep fluids down. He ends up not even being strong enough to take a taxi back home and the villagers try to nurse him back to health. And then they look at him and they're like, this white man's not gonna make it. And so they hurry him and they rush him in an ambulance to try and get him to the local hospital. And at the local hospital, the doctors are trying to figure out what's going on and they're, they're with him. And, and Johan just says, I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. I'm in unbelievable pain. Please, could you do anything for the pain that I'm in? And this Thai doctor looked at him and he said, no. No, we can't mask your pain. Because your pain is the guide to what's wrong. If we cover up your symptoms, we're never gonna know what to treat. And so they journeyed with him, figured out that in Thailand, uh, the amount of insecticides that are put on the fruit is so intense that all the locals know you basically have to peel the apple before you eat it. And so the reason he got so violently sick is because he consumed all these pesticides. But it was that phrase that I thought was so interesting. A doctor from a non-Western context said, no, we can't hide your pain because your pain will lead us to what's wrong. It's a very different approach from the West. Very, very different approach to how we think about pain and difficulty. In fact, if you go to most hospitals, pain will often be treated as a vital sign that just needs to be treated. If you have something wrong, we'll hear some pain meds. In America, my home country has been devastated by the opioid crisis, which is an overprescription of pain medications for smaller problems people getting addicted to heroin because they're stuck on pain meds. We live in an era and a culture that prizes comfort. What happens for faith, too? Faith can also be built into assuming that God is here to make us safe. 
One of my greatest pet peeves are like Christian Facebook sites that just post photos of like gibberish. It's nonsense. These ones bother me so much. It's time for your breakthrough. Type amen if you're ready. Good night. God would not have put a dream in your heart if he hadn't already given you everything you needed to fulfill it. What, what does that mean? I mean, that sounds good. I guess I can get the like emoji, but what does that mean? Slay your giants. Oh, that's one of my pet peeves, the David and Goliath story. The message is that you need to slay your giants. God's going to help you slay your giants. How come we're always the hero in these stories? If we're not careful, this culture of comfort finds its way into the church. And before we know it, God becomes the tool to help us on our life. God becomes the thing that we use to move ahead. Church becomes the culture in which we can have some good friends and have some good relationships and have some good social status. It's an era of upward mobility. God is here to help me achieve my dreams. And conveniently, my dreams always usually end up with me with nicer things in a less stressful job where things are easy, right? I don't know about you, my dreams always end up there. You notice how dangerous that can become? And one of the things we have to be careful of that we've seen in society is that this culture of comfort also has a dangerous edge on the back end. There's a French philosopher named Gilly Zipotovsky. That is actually how you pronounce this term. Um, but he's talking about this culture of comfort, of how we want control, we want things on our terms for us to look like us. And this is what he says. Not a Christian. He says, the individual nowadays in the modern world appears more and more opened up, more mobile, fluid, and more socially independent. But this flexibility, it signifies much more a destabilization of the self rather than a triumphant affirmation of a subject endowed with self-mastery. Now that is fancy, okay, right? So let me say it in dumber terms, which is to say that as we've gotten more free, more in control, more comfort, rather than us becoming more sure, self-mastered individuals, we have become more insecure. He goes on to say, witness the rising tide of psychosomatic symptoms and obsessive compulsive behavior depression, anxiety, and suicide attempts, not to mention the growing sense of inadequacy and self-depreciation. The more socially mobile the individual is, the more we witness signs of exhaustion, subjective breakdowns, the more freely and intensely people wish to live, the more we hear them saying how difficult life can be. Isn't that a good picture of our world? The more we strive for comfort, the more anxious we become the lower our pain threshold and the more we need medications to help us get across. Not just normal medications, but alcohol. We all, we all have narcotics, Netflix, food, chocolate. We all have our narcotics, don't we? To help us get through. It makes me think about um, a church in Revelation. And I'm gonna take us back to Revelation for a little bit. It's one of the third, uh, the final church in Revelation is called Laodicea. And uh, if you want to know more, I'm not going to go in-depth on it. You can find out more on our website when I've done a more comprehensive sermon on all of these topics. But in the, the last church of Revelation, in Laodicea, there's that really famous one where God, Jesus, condemns the church saying, you're neither hot nor cold, so I spit you out of my mouth. That's the most famous part. But I actually think the part right after that is more interesting. Right after that, Jesus says to this church, you say, I am rich. 
I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. It's almost like Laodicea, which was a city of new money and upward mobility. They had wealth and assets and they assumed, I've got what I need. They wanted church to be comfortable. They wanted church to help them on this trajectory of upward mobility. And Jesus says, you think you've got it together, but you don't. You think you can see, but you're blind. You think you have everything what you need, but you're needy deep down. I think it's the same way that Gilles Geskeski talked about it. The more we want and chase comfort, the more that eats us away from the inside. And so one of Revelation's biggest callings is it's saying you can choose. You can live in the kingdom of Babylon or you can live in the new Jerusalem. You can live in one of these spaces. You can find this at the end. In, in, uh, these two cultures are set apart so differently. Babylon is marked by, uh, it's clothed in stolen goods. And Babylon is a metaphor for Rome, but not just Rome, but any empire. All empires follow the same practice. They have lots of stuff, most of it stolen from other people. They were driven by consumption. Rome literally became the consumption capital of the world with resources from all across the empire going to satisfy the needs of a very elite few in the center. Rome achieved peace through violence. They said it was the Pax Romana, but that's because they brutally murdered and crucified anyone who stepped out of line. And finally, in the culture of Babylon, power was king. But notice how different the culture of Jerusalem is. You can find these in the verses in uh, Revelation chapter 21, 22. Notice how God's kingdom is different. The church, the people in the new Jerusalem, they're clothed royally, but not from what they've stolen, but what God has given to them. Rather than being driven by consumption, a river and fruit flow out from the city. They go outwards towards other people to meet the needs. Babylon is driven by, I need more. Jerusalem is driven by, how can I give more? In Babylon, they achieve peace through violence, but in the new Jerusalem, the gates are always open and there's this beautiful tree whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. This beautiful picture of reconciliation of people coming together, of outward looking. In Babylon, power is king, but in the new Jerusalem, God himself is king and he rules. And so Revelation and, and the church in Laodicea asks us a question, which is how are you going to live in this world? Not just theoretically you here in Papamoa, how are you going to live? Because we can live in the city of Babylon, believing in the myth of this upward mobility that everything should get easier and comfort is king. Or you can take a different posture. And it's that posture that I want to talk to you about. And that's embracing exile. One of my favorite letters in the New Testament is a letter from Peter. And in Peter, I want to show you the introduction to his letter. It's fascinating. Normally, when these letters start, when Paul writes them, it's often to the saints in Ephesus, to the chosen in Galatia, to the, to the believers in this space. But look how Peter starts his. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion, 
to the exiles in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who've been chosen and destined by God the Father, sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. But listen to that term. How does he define them? Exiles. People who live differently. That word, uh, it means like sojourners. It can also be translated as pilgrims. People who, who travel through a place, but they know that their home country is not the culture that they're in, but they've got something else on the horizon. Something else that motivates them rather than just the culture that they're in. Something else that drives their movement and their dreams, the way that they spend their money, the way that they live. There's another city that they call home. And that changes the way that they are now. And one of the famous, most famous passages in scripture that talks about these exiles is in Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't know Hebrews, it's another book in the New Testament. But in chapter 11, the author... He starts off by this. He starts talking about the importance of faith. And he begins talking about heroes of the faith. And he says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And he begins to list off heroes of the faith that begin to live differently in their context. He talks about Abraham, a man of his era to have his time. God calls him to what? pick up and leave everything that he's known for a God that he does not know from a bar of soap on trust and faith that God is going to do something there. He leads him through adversities and trial. He almost gets killed multiple times. He has a promise that he's going to have a child. His wife is barren. How is that going to come together? And he has to walk in faith on this journey. They tell the stories of Moses Moses, this young child, has been put into the river, and he's raised wealthy and elite within the Egyptian royal class. And Moses has an opportunity to live within that culture. But what does Moses do? He leaves Egypt. He runs out into the wilderness as an exile, and he encounters a burning bush. God meets with him. And he cannot live by Egyptian culture anymore. And instead, he leads a people out on a journey that they never could have imagined. A whole nation being born, walking through the Red Sea, trial and adversity, challenge and difficulty. For any one of these heroes of the faith, I can promise you their journey with God was not one of wonderful upward mobility. David. Oh, what a picture for David. David, you're going to be a king. Oh, great. That sounds cool. I'd like to sit in the palace. What's the first thing you're going to do? Go fight a giant. <sighs> Would appreciate it just sitting in the royal rooms if I could, please. And then he gets there. God says, you're going to be king. What does the king do? The king tries to kill him. And he has to go on a run, and his compatriots are thieves, uh, isolated people. He ends up fighting for the wrong team for a while. Against, He's on the wrong side. Everything about it, upward mobility, stuff that. Not a chance. Name all those heroes of faith. The Gideon, the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, anyone who saw this vision, this God kingdom, this God-ordained way of being, I can promise you very few of their lives moved in upward mobility and comfort. God led them out into the desert, the wilderness, the difficult places, away from the creature comforts of Babylon to discover a new kingdom, a new Jerusalem. Listen to how Hebrews sums it up. 
all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things that promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Listen, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Same title as Peter uses. Exiles in search of a different kingdom. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country that they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. A new Jerusalem, placed not built by human hands, but built in the kingdom of heaven. One of my favorite verses from Jesus that lands this so clearly is he says this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Classic Jesus. One of the things that frustrates me about Jesus, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, I'm a pastor, right? But one of the things that frustrates me about reading Jesus is that he leaves very, very little room for wiggle room at times. He nails you and says, look, if you want to save your life, if you're going to try and live in those creature comforts, you're going to lose it. You're going to end up getting torn apart. Sounds like uh, Gilius Witzkeski is just ripping off Jesus. As we've moved up, we've been hollowed out. But instead, Jesus says, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What is a guiding star for us? Here's, can I be real with you? Talk plainly and, and, and honestly. When I look ahead to our future, God has been very good to us as a church. God has been so good. He's been so faithful. He has given us incredible leaders who have walked a very faithful journey in their life. We have incredible facilities. I can't tell you, I've met with other church pastors, planters in Papamoa who would kill for our barn. Well, they wouldn't kill, but they would like to have it after we go. <laughs> desperate for a place like this. And look ahead to this building that we have. An $8 million building. It's huge. When you go there today, you will see it is not small. It's, it's incredible. But it reminds us of God's incredible graciousness to us. But think of those guiding lights. And think of the culture that we're in. If we are not careful, we so easily could end up like Laodicea. With a wonderful building good resources, good pastors, good pastoral staff. And we could, of course, on Sunday, we'll always say, oh, Jesus, we need you. But we could end up like Laodicea, thinking that we've got it under our control. We in Papamoa, we live in an area of new housing developments. The, the town is called Golden Sands. Golden Sands. It's a promise of upward mobility. It's a promise of comfort. Come here and you will live your dream. Everything will be wonderful. You can live, work, and play in your environment and it will be great. Yeah! It's literally what our neighborhood's called. Can you hear that cultural environment? And it could be so easy if we are not careful for us as a church to imbibe that what God wants for us is upward mobility. And that our role as a church is to find other people in Papamoa and help them in their journey of just upward mobility. But does Jesus just call us to comfort? 
No. Does Jesus call us to just have an easy life? No. Does Jesus call us just to live a wonderful middle-class existence and pray every once in a while? No. No, because we are exiles here. Comfort cannot be our highest priority, but safety, or not safety, but faithfulness must be. I would be devastated if in five years we are reluctant to take any risks because we got a good thing going and we don't want to mess it up. Oh, we got people coming and what if we offend some people? If I don't know, we get a little bit too radical and I don't know if that family will come back again. And We got a youth group. I don't know if we should talk about some of those topics. That's just a bit too controversial. Let's just keep it light and easy. Remind them that God loves them. That is the cultural tide that we swim in. Or in the words of Paul, those are the principalities and powers with which we wage war. Comfort, security, the promise of upward mobility, good, stable housing, everything calm and nice. But here's the possibility. For those who are willing to take a risk, for those who are willing to take big steps and leaps of faith, for those who are willing to trust God when he said, come and follow me, it's remarkable what God can do. With ordinary people, faulted and frail, having not all, all things together, we're not perfect, eloquent speakers, we don't have all of our life together, we don't have our housing things sorted. With ordinary, normal people, God upset a Roman empire without any of the resources that we think we need these days. Now, that's not to say we don't need the building. I still think God's calling us there, but it reminds us that that building is not ours, nor will it ever be ours. That that auditorium is not gonna be designed for your comfort, nor should it be designed for your comfort. That everything in the building shouldn't just be smooth and easy. It is there as a gift. It is there to serve and love other people. We steward it for a short time and we hand it over to those who can take it and use it for the blessing and the betterment of our neighborhood and the people in our community. Amen? The cultural moves will be so easy for us to love comfort and safety. I tell you that not as a I'm better than you, but I tell you that because those voices call to me too. I would love for things to be comforted and easy. I've talked honestly and openly about my journey with anxiety. Often I hate having to do some of the things because I'm like, well, that's scary. I'd rather just stay in my lane and be comfortable. But I don't think that's the calling that God has on this church. We have an ability to be close and with, to the, with the poor. For people who have bought into the lies of comfort, we have an opportunity to disrupt that narrative. People who find themselves lonely and empty and needy, even though they have all the things that they think we need, they need, we have an opportunity to come with the voice of Jesus and say, hey, for whoever saves their life will lose it, but if you lose your life for Jesus, I promise you, you will find it. And it will be so much better than anything you ever hoped for or imagined. Will it be hard? Absolutely. Will it be scary? Undoubtedly. Will you feel out on the limit most of the time? Without a doubt. Will you not know how things are going to pan out? Yep, that's faith. But be amazed at what God can do in the midst of that. I know stories of people here in this room who've taken those steps of faith. Our church is only here because we have brave men and women who took those steps of faith, not knowing how it was going to turn out. So church, one of our guiding lights, one of our stars, our principles that we can never let go is that we are but exiles in this space.
We love Papamon, we serve it, but we don't want to live with the wider cultures of it. We, are, we belong to another city. And we long to see the new Jerusalem exist here. Where people are clothed by God. Where water and fruit and food flow out from us. Where we are not defined by how much we get and how much we need. But as a church, we're defined by how much we can give to a city and a neighborhood that so desperately needs it. Where the gates are open, where people know that they can come. How many people think and know of the church as a judgmental and scary place that hates gay people, is afraid of immigrants, and is focused on conservative politics only? We have an opportunity to disrupt that narrative and say there is space for you here. There is space. Do you look different? There's space for you here. Where leaves can bring healing. Oh, I'm, all right, I'm sorry, I'm preaching. I'm going to talk about polarization in a couple of weeks. I'm sorry. I love this. To me, I think this is one of the callings of Golden Sands, that we have our eyes set on the New Jerusalem. Not just, not just Papamoa, not just Golden Sands, but what God dreamed Papamoa could be. That's our calling. But it will not happen easily. It will not happen without risk. It will not happen without pain. It will not happen without loss. It will not happen without grief. It will not happen without repentance. Oh my goodness, repentance. We will need to be a community that is constantly repenting. Because those voices of Babylon call to us are so strong. Leighton, would you come up? Um, could you lead us in Cornerstone? I know you had another song planned, but could you lead us in Cornerstone? Would that be all right? I share this not to bring shame or a heavy, but I think it will be important for us, for every leader in this church, for everyone who serves. And if you are new, it is important that you know these are the things that matter to us. That when Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak, blessed are the hungry, the merciful, to theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You need to know that we want to take that seriously in this church. I just want to be where Jesus is. And Jesus is always calling us out from Babylon to discover a new and better way. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray. Thank you for being around a little bit later. I apologize. Things ran a little bit long today. But I want to pray for us in our church. And if you find yourself in this space, can I encourage you to open up your hands or, or raise your hands with me? But I want to pray that God will ground this value deep into the core of our being. That he would protect us from the calls towards comfort, safety, and stability, but he would call us out of Babylon into Jerusalem. If that's a journey that you want to go on, would you raise your hands with me as we pray? Would you open up your hands and pray that God would do this, not just in me, but in each and every one of us? Because a church is not just an organization. It's not just me. A church is a community, individual believers faithfully following this calling together. And if you feel like you want to be on this journey, can I ask you, open up your hands, raise your hands, and I just want to pray that God would minister to us in this space. We invite you here in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you minister to us today?
Come, Holy Spirit. Would you minister to us? God, as a community, I want to lead us in a prayer of repentance first and foremost. For myself and for those of us in this community, how easily we fall in love with comfort and safety, of stability, of how much that dream of upward mobility rests in our heart. Lord, would you forgive us of our selfishness? Jesus, would you forgive us? We repent of our consumerism. Jesus, we repent of our individualism, of how our whole world can just be focused on ourselves. Lord, we want a better way. We want a different pattern. We want to be a different people from that. We want to live in your city, in this new Jerusalem that is marked by giving, sacrifice, being close to and with the poor, the needy, the marginalized, and the hurting. Lord, send us out. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would free us from the bondage of sin. In Jesus' name, would you free us from the spiritual stronghold that so easily entangles from the sin that so easily shuts us down and keeps us self-centered and scared and anxious in our own little corners. God, would you free us in the name of Jesus? Lord, we repent. We don't want to be that, but we are but human. And in our repentance, Jesus, we invite your spirit to come and breathe new life right now. Come, Holy Spirit, would you breathe fresh life within us as a community? Come, Holy Spirit, would you break chains within us, God? Would you get us a hunger, not for the surface desires, but for something deeper? Lord, would you get us dissatisfied with the easy things of life and spur us on towards something greater? God, bring us to your kingdom. Raise within us a hunger and a passion to see the new Jerusalem come here on earth as it is in heaven, to see Papamoa become the community you've called it to be, to see the poor being drawn and to see the families being healed, to see the divorce being reconciled. Jesus, we want to call for your kingdom in this place. Birth that within us. Jesus, we cannot do that by ourselves. We cannot do this by ourselves. Holy Spirit, we need you. Because so easily we'll turn back. We're human. Our habits are there. But Jesus, today I put my faith not in our ability as a community, Lord, we put our faith not in how hard we're going to try for you, not on the the enthusiasm of our efforts, but Jesus, we put our faith in you that what you are starting, you are going to complete in us. That the calling that you have placed in the life of this church, you will see through to completion. That the church that you are calling Golden Sands Baptist to be, that we will be that. That our kids and our grandkids will be that. Not because of what we have done, but because of what you are doing. Jesus, we put our hope, our faith, and our trust in you. In your name we pray.